welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Well, here it is. The 12th day of Christmas. Finally, you say. I want to ask you, did you find 12 lords leaping at your door this morning? If you did, let's talk afterwards, okay? (laughs) I pray this has been a very joyous season for you. I pray that this has been a time of renewal and refreshment. And I pray that you have experienced a new understanding of the incarnation. God made man, Emmanuel with us. Unfortunately, for some of us, this it may seem that the glow of this commercial season, the commerce-oriented Christmas lasted only a few days, or maybe only a few hours. Now it's back to the reality of life. Some of us may be saying, I have bills to pay. Where am I going to get enough money? Or my employer is still unbearable in attitude towards me and fellow workers. The economy is not getting any better for me. The political climate is one of disgrace, filled with corruption, greed, and vitriol. My children are emotionally distant. My children are being so negatively influenced by the mores of this progressive culture so prevalent today. I'm concerned about my physical well-being, as well as the well-being of some of my family members. Or you may be saying, our country is so divided. War is an ongoing occurrence throughout the world. I am discouraged, disheartened, and depressed. We could go on and on with many uh, descriptors of our current lives. You pick one of the above or remind yourself of a personal source of irritation or a personal crisis. After that kind of an introduction, I hear you saying, where is the good news of Christmas in all of this? You may be thinking, sometimes I feel like Job must have felt when he was being harassed by the devil and lost everything he owned, including his family. Or maybe like the children of Israel who had been defeated in war and lost all property and any sense of being a nation. In Jeremiah, we read that they are in exile in Babylon and no doubt are feeling very depressed. It seems that God has forsaken them. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is gone. The temple is gone, which is a sure sign that God has left them and they have no hope of salvation. But then we read in the passage from Jeremiah today that God promises to ransom his children. He will redeem them and bring them back to the goodness and prosperity of his loving kindness. In verses 12 through 14, we heard it read, Their life shall be like a watered garden, 
and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. My brothers and sisters, God cares about his people and their well-being. He does not carry a grudge because of our past or current sins or unfaithfulness. He desires that we turn to him with repentance and cast our burdens on him. He is faithful to turn our mourning into joy. In today's psalm, the psalmist said that those who seek to dwell in the presence of the Lord will find a safe and restful place. He went on to establish that even though the journey might be rough and trying, that we will be strengthened in our way when we seek to worship God with our entire being. If we seek to serve God in the most humble of ways, and walk righteously, we will be blessed and will find him to be a sun and a shield, and he will not withhold any good thing. You might reply, my life doesn't seem to be full of good things. Where is God in all of this? My friend, there is hope. That is what Christmas is about. The Apostle Paul told the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 27, how great among the Gentiles, that's us, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can truly say, as a Christian, you can truly say, as is recorded in the words of the old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, come to live among us. Why? Jesus himself proclaimed his purpose for coming to earth as the incarnate God. He himself proclaimed his purpose. He established that he was here to bring about the kingdom of God in every heart and every nation. And we find this declaration in Luke 4, verses 16 through 21, where it says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Are you financially poor? Poor in spirit? Poor in health? Poor in friendships? Jesus said he came to bring you good news. Are you being held captive by drugs, alcohol, depression, unbelief, loneliness, opportunities? Jesus said he came to bring you the good news of liberty. Are you blind to the love of those who care for you? Are you blind to success in life that surrounds you? Are you blind to your potential for making a positive contribution to a better society? Are you blind to the love of God? Jesus said he came to bring you the good news of sight. Are you oppressed at work, at home, by your spouse or other family, in your community, or by the political climate? Jesus said he came to bring you the good news of freedom. How can one be encouraged when it seems there is no hope of future change? How can one be hopeful when you lack the confidence that God cares about you? Listen to what God said to the captive people of Israel in Isaiah 43. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, fear not, for I am with you. Like the children of Israel, God created you. God made you who you are. God loves you. God will see you through all your troubles and trials. That's what we hear about ourselves in the Ephesians reading scheduled for today. He, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He destined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. We are God's chosen people, just as was Israel. As we look back at the passage of Isaiah 43, we see how he's redeemed Israel. It was as though he was buying their freedom at the expense of the entire Egyptian nation. In fact, he literally ransomed them with the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt, didn't he? Then he says, I have called you by name. You are mine. This is a particularly Jewish form of expression. 
Calling someone by name indicates a personal relationship with that person. Adam in Genesis named all of the animals as a sign that they were to be his companions. It's a bit like when we were kids playing baseball and the captain called out our names, the names of those he had picked to be on his team. Here God names the nation of Israel's, Israel and then declares, you are mine. Notice that he calls them by name, yet at the same time, they are called by his name. They are Yahweh's people. Next, he promises that he will be with them. At the worst moments in their lives, at the moments when they're under the greatest pressure, he'll be there. God said that he would be there when they pass through rivers, when they pass through flames. No matter how bad it gets, he'll be there protecting them. Notice, though, that he doesn't say they won't get wet or get singed. But he does say that the flames won't consume them. Sometimes I think we expect God to protect us from any harm at all. It's like God has this magic spell. He puts a shield around us to keep the evil of the world away from us. But he doesn't promise that, does he? He doesn't say that we will never have to walk through rivers or to pass through the flames. In fact, it's the opposite. He says we will experience that sort of trial. But he'll be there beside us when it happens. And he'll make sure that the experience does not destroy us. Some of you may remember the well-known poster with the footsteps in the sand. You know how it shows the two sets of footsteps changing to a single set every now and then. Supposedly, the single set of footprints is the times when God carried us on his shoulders. Well, that may be true at times. But it also may be that these are the times that when God is standing by the side of the cauldron watching us as we're being refined by the fire, perhaps even reaching out in his ladle one out again to remove some of the impurities that are being burned off, making sure the temperature doesn't get too hot to destroy us or that we're damaged by it. That's happened to me uh, yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> That's what he says will happen with the nation of Israel. They'll pass through flames, but they won't be consumed by it. And he tells us why he watches over them. He says, you are precious in my sight. Just as God loved them, God loves us and chooses us, not because of what we do, not because of our holiness or blamelessness, but because of his own character, his own love. The honor he gives them comes from his own choosing of them. He chose them and formed them and redeemed them so they'll always be honored in his eyes. Isaiah then talks about them being ransomed as a result of people having been given up for them. How does God ransom his people? How does he redeem us? Well, 
he actually sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin, God in human flesh, to die, to set us free, to die as a ransom, to set us free from the punishment due for our sins. And notice how Jesus fits into that prophecy. At his baptism, what happens? As he passes through the waters of baptism, a voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. The prophecy stretches on into the future to encompass not just the people of Israel, not just Jesus as the true Israel, but us as well, as the new Israel. We're the ones who will be brought back to God. These words are written for us who are incorporated into the kingdom of God by our faith in Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, God promises to be with us as we face various trials. We too are precious in God's sight. We too are loved and honored. When you find yourself in a situation where you wonder whether God is with you or whether God cares about what's happening to you, remember these words that we've just talked. And remember that although God wrote them for Israel in the 7th century B.C., they're still true for all who call themselves by His name. In fact, they're truer for us because God has revealed Himself to us directly through His Son. Again, we read in Ephesians, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. You are precious in His sight. He knows you and has named you as His. No matter what happens, no matter how hard your life is, God will watch over you and will take you in the end to be with Him in His kingdom forever. That is what Christmas is about. In a few minutes, we'll come to the Lord's table. Come to the altar. Come to the table. Jesus waits for you there with arms open wide. I urge you to believe that through the body and blood of Jesus and your surrender to Him, you can be healed, encouraged, given hope, relieved of stress, freed from addictions, given peace in knowing that He will take care of you and yours. As you come forward, come quietly and prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit of Jesus to minister to you in a real and tangible way. And after you receive the Holy Sacrament, I urge you to go to our prayer ministers and ask them to pray with you and for you. You'll be overjoyed for me to see a line 
standing at the prayer ministries. We'll find other experienced people to pray with you if, if necessary. Jesus said to you today, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is what Christmas is about. In the name of the Father, the Son. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.